we're going to finish out. This little gem we found in the Old Testament, Haggai. Chapter number 2. Let's pray together this evening and we're going to get into these last, uh, these last few verses and let God speak to our hearts tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to look into your word. We thank you, God, for what we've already experienced here tonight and the singing and, and the testimonies. God, what a blessing. It has been good to be here tonight. Lord, I thank you for each person here. God, you know what we are uh, carrying, you know what we're walking through, and God, I, I know that you are able. And so, God, we trust you tonight. Uh, Lord, we are collectively joining together tonight to declare, uh, Lord, our trust and our dependence upon you. And so, God, uh, we thank you uh, for the work you've done in our lives. We thank you for your word. Please bless it. Use it for your glory this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Many years ago, there was a typo in a newspaper ad for a local church's program. The article said the title of the church's program was, Our God Resigns. Our God Resigns. The title was supposed to be, Our God Reigns. It's amazing how much one letter can really mess things up, isn't it? Our God Reigns. But I want us to think about this. Maybe this accidental typo is truer among Christians than we want to admit, maybe. Many believers live as if their God has resigned, not as if He truly reigns as the sovereign Lord of the universe. Several weeks ago, I was open about the, the, the life of a, of a pastor and the struggles in the, in the life of a pastor and, 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 and their wife and the, the anxiety that can be battled, discouragement, depression, all those things. Not just for us, but if, for y'all as well, if you aren't careful we can easily develop this God has resigned mentality and, and perspective and, and because what we see with our eyes can deceive us into thinking that the enemy's winning somehow, that Satan is somehow winning. But despite all the spiritual resources that we have, churches being on almost every corner in our area of the world, evil's continued to increase, hasn't it? To unimaginable proportions. I'm 40 years old, and I, as I examine the, the state of things and things that are said, I never cease. I guess nothing surprises me anymore, but man, you're always, your heart's always burdened and sometimes broken over things because of the evil that's continuing to increase. See, back in the day, I remember the days when Americans used to agree with Christian moral standards. They may not adhere to them, but they at least agreed with them. But now many professing Christians do not live by those standards any longer, let alone those in the world. In fact, it's true today in this age of, of our own personal tabloids known as social media uh, that people flaunt their sin as if it's a badge of honor today. Not only among their, uh, their, their necessarily their friends, but they just put it out there for everyone to see. Several Christian denominations today tolerate homosexual sin not only among their members but among their clergy as well. See, very few churches take a stand on the absolute truth anymore. Whether in morals or in doctrine, I would say very few Christians, professing believers, take a stand on absolute truth. Can I ask you a question? Do you believe there's absolute truth tonight? 
Absolutely. <laughs> there was a guy on a plane one time, and he just stood up and declared to the whole plane, he says, I don't believe there's any absolute truth. And the guy looked at him and said, are you absolutely sure about that? I mean, when you think of the things that people have fallen for today, your truth, my truth, it is mindless. It's lunacy. Of course, there's absolute truth. Today, many take, fail to take a stand on absolute truth. The gospel's been changed from the power of God that saves to how can we use God for personal fulfillment. There's a gospel being preached in what used to be fundamental churches that's not the gospel of the Bible any longer. There are Baptist churches that are preaching a different gospel today. As we come to the end of Haggai, he closes out this little book with a word of encouragement. Zerubbabel found himself in a challenging and discouraging situation. We've been looking at this in detail over the last few weeks. We know that Zerubbabel was the grandson of King Jehoiakim and therefore that he was of the royal line of David. Hey, tonight, this is just cool how God lines this stuff up, but believe it or not, this sermon out of Haggai in the Old Testament is going to have some Christmas overtones to it. That's pretty cool. God knew where we were going to be at. You're going to see that in a little bit. You may have already figured it out. I don't know. He was of the royal line of David, but instead of wearing a crown sitting on a throne, Zerubbabel was the humble governor of the struggling Jewish nation that was trying to complete the building of a, if you remember, a rather inglorious temple. It's a discouraging situation for a royal prince to be in. They were still under Persian rule and surrounded by hostile neighbors. We've learned this and, 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 and who opposed the Jewish resettlement. The Jews who had returned, they seemed, listen, you remember in Haggai 1, they seemed more concerned with their personal comfort and prosperity, their own houses rather than the Lord's house. They were more concerned about their lives than the things of God. I just wrote down that discouraging certainly is a good descriptive word of the situation that Zerubbabel finds himself in here. So on December the 18th, God gives Haggai a special word of encouragement for the governor. Look at our text on Haggai chapter 2. We're going to finish out this chapter. It says this, beginning at verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations, and I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses, and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will, take, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord. And I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. I want to share a couple of thoughts, and then we're going to make a couple of, of, of applica application statements at the end of this as we finish out Haggai. Here's the first thought. In this word of encouragement, Haggai declares that the Lord will ultimately prevail. He tells Zerubbabel, God will prevail. 
Were the nations around Jerusalem larger and stronger than Jerusalem was? Of course they were. Of course, they were much mightier, much stronger than Jerusalem. But Haggai's encouragement was that God has promised He will care for His people Israel. He will take care of them. He will provide for them. He will protect them. He's always done it in the past, and He will do it today. Haggai is sharing this encouraging word with Zerubbabel. You see, the same God that enabled Moses to defeat Egypt. Y'all remember the story in the book of Exodus. Y'all remember reading this, right? Hearing it preached, hearing it taught in Sunday school. You understand that was true, right? That was a true, these things happened. God who miraculously enabled Moses to defeat Egypt. Y'all remember the story of Joshua and got him leading God's people against the nation of Canaan. Y'all remember the walls came tumbling down in Jericho, right? Sound like a pretty uh, outlandish battle plan, didn't it? As God gave him the instructions, Joshua obeyed, and the walls come tumbling down. The same God that enabled Moses to defeat Egypt, Joshua to conquer the nations of Canaan, would protect his people. This is Haggai's message. God will protect you so that his purposes will be fulfilled through you. You see, Israel will endure until the last days. Hey, can I tell you something what's going on in Israel right now? God will protect Israel. God will watch over His people still this day. He will. God's going to provide and protect. Israel will endure until the last days. And then the Lord's going to defeat His enemies and establish her in, his, in her kingdom. Notice the declarative statements in our text. He says, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. How many believe tonight if God says, I am going to do something, He's going to do it? He says, I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. He says, I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. He said, I will take you, I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. Was Haggai's message. See, God wanted to leave no doubt about who he was. And that he would prevail. Hey, can I tell you something tonight? The Apostle Peter refers to you and I, Gentile believers, as a royal priesthood and a chosen generation in his epistle. You understand that tonight? Somebody say amen. Are you a child of the king this evening? Because the same God who just, thought, who just uh, you, as Haggai preached and shared this message of encouragement with Zerubbabel, the same God we read about out in our text is going to shake the nations and the earth. That's the same God we serve. So it doesn't matter what you're facing in your life, how difficult or hard it may be. Who is against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Somebody say amen. He's for us. That's the God we serve. And he's going to protect you and me as well. He's going to enable us to endure as well. God will prevail. Look, the theme of this message of encouragement, now don't miss this, centered on the millennial reign of the Messiah. Haggai, looking into the future, encourages Zerubbabel that God, listen, not is just going to prevail today. He will ultimately prevail in history for all time. He is victorious. We see in our text the depiction of the overthrow of kingdoms of the world and the establishment of the Messianic kingdom and, and the events predicted did not transpire historically in Zerubbabel's day. Keep that in mind. What he is telling Zerubbabel about, Zerubbabel did not see happen in his lifetime. The promise pertains to the royal line from whom the Messiah would come. It looked to the ultimate day that when the Messiah would reign on this earth. You do believe Jesus is coming back and He is going to reign. 
Can I ask you a question? The fact that you believe that, does that impact every day of your life? Every day of your life should be impacted by the fact that one day King Jesus is going to reign in this earth. Can I ask you, is King Jesus ruling in your life right now? Is King Jesus reigning in your heart and your life? Is he who you bow to? Is he who you are serving? He is going to reign. Look, Christmas time, the coming of baby Jesus, to be born of a virgin named Mary, to go to the cross. Why did Jesus come? So that sinners could be saved. He went to the cross to, to bring redemption, to bring, pay the price that sinners could not pay for themselves so they could one day experience a glorious eternity as they repent, believe, and follow him. Christmas ultimately points to the time, look, Jesus isn't through. He's not through. And what Haggai is pointing to is not a baby coming in a manger, but a king coming in his glory to reign and rule. The lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what Haggai is pointing to. See, God will ultimately prevail. Look, you keep in mind, as you stand on your faith, as, as the Lord tarries, you mark it down. You stand on the absolute truth of the Word of God. You stand with moral convictions. You stand on the truth of this holy book we hold in our hands tonight. You're going to face all kinds of opposition. You're going to face all kinds of, of, of people pushing you away. You're going to be avoided and ignored. Like the, those Vietnamese pastors, you're going to be persecuted as God carries, uh, tarries His coming. You, these things, you mark it down, will begin to happen the more and more we stand on the truth of the Word of God. But church, you can take heart, you can be encouraged that God will ultimately uh, uh, prevail. And He will reap, wreak havoc on the enemies of His people and the enemies of His Word. You mark it down. God will prevail. The second thought is this. The Lord will ultimately prevail, but secondly, the Lord will fulfill His promise. Notice verse 23, it says this. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Notice that the Lord here calls Zerubbabel, he says, my servant. This is an exclusive title reserved specially for specially chosen people. And Zerubbabel, as we see in our text, was indeed Chosen by the Lord. God compared Zerubbabel to a royal signet ring. A signet ring was used by kings to put their official signature on documents. A guarantee that the king would keep his promise and fulfill the terms of the document. That's what God is doing here. He's putting his stamp of approval. The signet ring. Look, I am going to do what I am telling you, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's ancestor, King Jehoiakim, also, Kaniah had been rejected by God, but Zerubbabel was accepted by God. In Jeremiah 22, 24, it says, As I live, says the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were, were the signet on my right hand, yet would I pluck you off, Jeremiah 22, 24 says. See, God was reversing the judgment. And renewing his promise that the Davidic line would, would not die, but that it would one day give the world a Savior. This time of year that we celebrate, Christmas time. Jesus came through the line of David. That's why you see, and this is, here's the connection to, the, to Christmas, to our narratives we look at in Matthew, in the genealogies of Christ, because we find Zerubbabel's name 
in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3. Look, do you need encouragement? Do you need to be uplifted? Then look to the promises of God. Hey, church, we live by promises, not explanations. We have to look to the promises of Scripture. God will do what He says He's going to do. The message must have encouraged Zerubbabel to stay on the job and finish the work that God had given him to do. He was special to God. He was chosen by God. The servant of God as described in our text. He was near and dear to God as a, as a king's signet ring. The people of Israel, after this happened, after this encouraging message from Haggai, we know the people of Israel would face many centuries of struggle and suffering ahead of them, still are to this day. But the Messiah would come. And one day Israel's enemies would be defeated and the glorious kingdom established. As you read the Old Testament, I'll stop here to say this. Look, don't stay away from the Old Testament. You know, dig into the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. And as you read the Old Testament, you see how salvation history progressed from age to age, always moving forward to the fulfillment of the Messianic promise. Many people have played different roles in the drama, but each of them was important. Think about it. Abraham founded the nation. Isaac and Jacob built the nation. Joseph protected it when he was in Egypt. Joshua gave them their land of promise. David established the kingdom. Look, despite sin, suffering, and failures, we all know it was there. If we've read the Bible, we see over and over again how people fail, how they struggle, how all of the, 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 the things in the world were against what God was trying to do and against His people. We see the struggle. But the, the Davidic line never ceased. And the day came when Jesus Christ, the son of David, was born in Bethlehem. Look, when Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus... Think about it. We often remember these, these individuals. We remember Mary, right? The mother of Christ. We remember Mary. We remember Joseph. We remember the angels. We remember the shepherds. We remember the wise men. Hey, look, we even remember wicked King Herod, don't we? When we think of Christmas, the Christmas narrative. But rarely do we think about Zerubbabel. A humble player in the drama, in the line of Christ, but a faithful one. So we finish up this series in Haggai, I want to note some practical lessons from God's, for us today as God's people. Here's some lessons we learn as God's children from Haggai. Here they are. The first one is this, the work of God has started to sustain and strengthen by the Word of God. The work of God has started to sustain and strengthen by the Word of God. In Ezra 6, it says this, so the elders of the Jews continued to build the pros and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Iddo. When God's servant proclaims the truth, the truth of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit, things begin to happen. Hey, church, we need, listen to me, we, you need, I need the preaching of the Word of God. We need the proclamation, the exposition of the Bible in our lives. When that is done in the right way, power goes forward. Things begin to happen. The work of God is started, sustained, and strengthened by the Word of God. Secondly, God's servants must work together to build God's temple. We learned this lesson in Haggai. Haggai and Zechariah, an older man, here it is, and a younger man. Haggai, the older, Zechariah, the younger, both ministered the Word of God to the Jewish remnant. And God blessed their mutual efforts. 
Do you think Haggai and Zechariah had a little bit of a different technique? I bet they did. <laughs> you know, one being older, one being younger. I bet they had a different technique, but they worked together. It's tragic when churches and preachers compete with one another and even carry on public disputes that give the enemy ammunition to oppose the gospel. Hey, look, there are people out here today who think the church is a joke because of the way they see believers treat one another and the things they say about one another. Please don't let that be you. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, For we are laborers together, Paul said, with God. God's servants have to work together to build the temple. The third lesson is this. When the outlook is bleak, listen to this. When the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. When the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. Apart from God's promises, church, listen, we have no hope. You know why so many of us struggle mightily in our lives of, of, of faith and, and we're constantly discouraged and we're constantly battling the same old stuff time and time and time again because we simply don't know the promises of God. That's why we need the Word of God in our daily lives. We need to know the promises of God because that is what gives us hope. Without His promises, we have no hope. Vance Havner said, Faith sees the invisible, chooses the imperishable, and does the impossible. Faith. Apart from His promises, we have no hope. Now think about this. Because we often like to think, you know, in our, in our areas, in our communities, in our homes, you know, God's not calling me to anything really you know, significant, you know. We often think that. I just work a regular job. I'm not in the ministry, I, you know, and, and, and people tend to push, like, uh, uh, they tend to think very low of, their, of what they're, they're doing spiritually. And that shouldn't be like that. Do you realize that what you're called to do right now, right in your home, and in, in, in your career, whatever, wherever you're at, you understand God's got you there for a purpose. He's got you there to do, to do whatever it is you're doing for His glory, to point others to Him. And you realize that what you're doing right where you're at is a part of the grand plan and God's future plan. It is part of what God's doing in the future to reach people and to propagate His gospel. You know, we sometimes can think, you know, I'm not being persecuted. I'm not, I'm not being, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm not having to go through a whole lot of stuff. I'm just in my little area of the world and things are pretty comfortable. Well, that's great. But God has still called you to do something. And what He's called you to is significant. And so be proud and excited at what God, or where God has you in your life right now because it's part of His grand plan for propagating the gospel. God wants to use you. Here's the fourth lesson. When we put God first, we are guaranteed God's best blessing. When you put God first, you're guaranteed God's best blessing. Why should God's work suffer while we pursue pleasure and comfort for ourselves? Think about that. That's a question Haggai asked the people. Times are difficult. Churches are struggling financially. You know, we, we've been open about the financial struggle here, but people are still affording things for themselves. You ever thought about that? How people will stay, they, they're, they're, look, people are still spending money. Are the stores empty when you go to them? Because they're not when I do. People are still buying stuff. Stuff is still flying off shelves. I know inflation is rough. But how many agree that, look, God's church shouldn't suffer, shouldn't be the first thing that goes out the door when things get tough financially, right? Why should God's church suffer while we pursue pleasure and comfort for ourselves? I agree with Warren Risby when he said, an affluent generation of Christians that is wasting God's generous gifts on trivial toys will have so much to answer for when the Lord returns. See, Matthew 6.33 is still in the Bible, and it's not changed. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Romans 14.12, 
is still in the Bible also. It says, yes, each will give a personal account to God. Look, when we put God first, we are guaranteed His best blessing. If you want to see God's blessings poured out in your life, then you put Him first in every area. Every area of your life, Jesus is first. That sounds like a good idea, right? Every area, Jesus is first. You want to experience blessing? Put Him first. Here's the fifth lesson. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, our work is worthless. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God still demonstrates His power and, his, uh, and receives great glory through the weak things of the world. Look, if we're too strong and dependent on ourselves, the Lord can't use us. You see, that's what ruined King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. It says this, For he was greatly helped until he became powerful. When we become self-dependent, it's a road to destruction very quickly. You daily need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you agree with that? We daily need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We can't live this life on our own. We cannot fulfill God's calling on our own. We need, all caps, N-E-E-D, we need the Holy Spirit in our personal lives, in our church, because if we don't have the Holy Spirit, our work is worthless. Look, to accomplish and fulfill what God has called us to do, we need to daily submit to the presence, power, and provision of the Holy Spirit. Look, lessons from Haggai. May God help us to put these things into practice. Let's stand together as we pray tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the wonderful truth that we have unpacked in these two short chapters. God, help us not to be people who are building our own house while your house is in ruins. God, help us, Father, to put you first. Lord, forgive us uh, for when we haven't. Uh, Lord, forgive us when we neglect you. Uh, Lord, it's happening. And God, I pray that you would give us courage to stand on the truth. Lord, no matter the, the cost, the risk, or our own safety, our lives, help us to stand on the truth. Lord, Jesus gave his all for us when he died on the cross. God, help us to give our all for him. Lord, help us to live surrendered lives, uh, selfless lives. Uh, God, help us, Father, to live lives that are submissive to the leading and the presence, power of the Holy Spirit. God, because we know we can't accomplish anything uh, that's of any value without the Holy Spirit. And so, God, help us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for each person here. I pray, God, that you would help them to walk in the truth. Lord, that you would give them courage. God, that you would help them to be strong when they feel weak. Uh, Lord, that you would help them to depend on your promises. And God, not, not just seeking explanations, but, God, to depend on the promises of your word. Uh, God, when they get down, I pray, Father, they would turn to prayer and Scripture uh, to find their encouragement. Uh, Father, I pray that, uh, that you would empower them to accomplish the task for which you have called them right where they're at in their homes, their careers, uh, Lord, in the community, the public places, wherever they go. Use them for your glory, and God, help that people to see Jesus in them. Father, we thank you for this time tonight of worship, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Thank you for being here tonight.